Hello and welcome to Pearls and Wisdom. There will be stories about people, life, experience, mental well-being and shooting the breeze with some very interesting people. There may be some swearing so be mindful if there are little ears around. If you want to get in contact send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes. Thanks for listening. Okay, so today I want to talk about psychology. There is a reason that psychologists develop and publish what we call theories. It's not exact and correct for everyone. So they will remain theories, and it's harder to measure and quantify than maths or astronomy. But this doesn't mean that the theories aren't relevant or massively useful in understanding ourselves or others. Psychology is like religion. There are so many ideas about how it works and why, but there's no one hard and fast set that applies to everyone. You build your own based on your experiences and how you think your mind works. Sigmund Freud believed life was a quest for power. Carl Jung believed it was a quest for wholeness. Viktor Frankl, a quest for meaning. It's all of them, and it's more. When a child, let's say, under 12, they preoccupy their time with play and copying adults, all the preparation for their own journey into adulthood. When they head into adolescence then, that's when it starts to become a quest for power. And uh, during the 20s as well, because this is the key stage where procreation occurs and where they're setting themselves up with careers, earning money, things that will be able to provide them with food and shelter. Then as people get older, they start to take a bit more stock of where their life is. Is it going where they want it to go? Are they in the job that they want to be in? And they start to look a little bit more long term. And that's where it's a bit more of a quest for wholeness. And then in the autumn and winter years, it's very much about taking stock of what has their life been like so far and concerning themselves with leaving a legacy. And that's where it really becomes a quest for meaning, I think. There are also other prominent psychologists who I'm not going to get into, but their work was very informative, like Vygotsky and Erickson. But Sigmund Freud, he is considered the father of psychology, and he was one of the most influential people of the 20th century. He claimed that depression and anxiety are influenced by factors that affect us in childhood, and that interpreting dreams can lead us to the childhood causes. He felt that psychotherapy could make emotionally sick people healthy by getting them to understand that what happens in childhood can cause them to develop depression, anxiety and schizophrenia. Now, Freud was an atheist or a non-practicing Jew and he held a materialistic view of the world and considered religion an illusion to keep the masses happy. You might know the phrase opium of the masses or opium of the people. That was Karl Marx, but you can see the commonality between them on this. 
that he dislikes something that makes people happy seems like a contradiction. But I think what he wanted was people to be internally happy, without the illusion of religion, because what do atheists rely on? So religion wasn't a cure as far as he was concerned. It was only a band-aid. He began to lean towards psychology and in particular the treatment of what was then called hysteria, very fashionable in the middle class in 19th century Europe and as was considered at the time strictly the preserve of the female gender. Crying, faintness, inability to cope, withdrawal and neediness seemed to be the main symptoms and as late as the 1850s some still held that it was caused by the womb moving upward in the body toward the seat of emotion, the heart. Nice to see we've moved on from there. Freud suggested a basic framework of the mind and a belief that what ails you now is the result of what happened in your childhood and that everyday behaviour is influenced by unconscious motives. So Freudian psychology, it's all about sex, isn't it? Well, yes, but when Freud used the term sex, he did so in a very wide association, encompassing practically any pleasurable sensation relationed to the body and by extension to feelings like tenderness and affection. Not necessarily sexual feelings as we'd consider, but they can be platonic feelings connected with love. In dream interpretation, for example, Freud considered any sharp pointed object in dreams as a symbol of the penis, which seems very basic now. But you have to remember he's considered the father of psychology. He was laying the building blocks everyone else based their work on after. His great idea was that all of us have two basic drives. Self-preservation and the procreation of the species. And from the way those develop in us as individuals comes our character, personality and behaviour. He called this drive towards procreation libido in a simple sense, desire, and suggested that as it developed in the child, it moved through more or less clearly defined phases, each linked to a particular stage of infant sexual development, oral, anal and genital, where the child was concentrated on particular aspects of its life. So in the oral stage, for example, the child's first need and desire is to suckle, and this first stage persists for a considerable time. Freud thought that we never entirely lose this devotion to mouth pleasure as adults, citing such pleasurable activities as kissing, smoking and eating. The oral stage was overlapped by the anal stage, which generally coincides with the start of the child's ability to control its anal sphincter and therefore its ability to give or withhold gifts at will which sounds like a very strange way of phrasing it, but small children, when they are being potty trained, can very much control when they go, whether they're wearing a nappy or not, and it's possibly one of the first real um, one of the first real ways that they assert their dominance even though they're low in the pecking order in the family, they start to show their will. In the genital stage, the child becomes aware of and interested in his or her genitalia as a source of pleasure, and this stage lasts until about the age of five. 
He held the view that each stage had to be completed successfully for the child to emerge as a well-balanced adult. Any disruption of any of these phases could result in fixation, a stalling of development in which the adult would develop and display behavioural characteristics related to the point at which his libid- libidinal terrible word <laughs> development was interrupted. Not content with ascribing all sorts of adult problems to childhood sexual development, he went even further. He theorised that as a little boy passed through the genital stage, he developed strong sexual feelings for his mother and an intense jealousy and distrust for his father, because the father is the stronger competitor for his mother's love and affection. This is the often referred to Oedipus complex, and usually ends at about four years old, as the boy develops a distinct fear that his father will castrate him in revenge for his feelings about his mother. Now, what Freud based that on, I cannot figure out for the life of me, but this is what he thought. Little girls go through a similar but opposite phase in which there is rejection of the mother and detachment to the father, which Freud referred to as the Electra complex. Freud suggests that we all need to go through these complexes in order to be able to develop healthy adult relationships. In order to make sense of the seething mass of drives and emotions present in infants, Freud began to develop a complex theory of personality to try to describe why we behave as we do. He thought that infantile behaviour was instinctive without guiding thought or conscious decision and referred to this impersonal primitive mass as the id, basically the pleasure principle. As the child grows older and begins to use reasoning, part of the id becomes detached to form the ego or the self, whose purpose it is to help determine what reality is like and what form of behaviour brings the most rewards. Later, a third component of the personality begins to form, the superego. It results from the child taking on board the dictates of its parents and the rules of the society in which it finds itself and appears to mediate between the demands of the id and the ego. My main problem with Freud is that according to him women can never develop a strong superego, resulting in them having a weak moral nature and of course leading to our expulsion from the Garden of Eden and the need for psychoanalysis. He called his own system psychoanalysis and developed a technique still used today which he described as free association. Essentially this entailed the the client reclining comfortably with the analyst out of his or her direct line of vision saying whatever comes into his mind about his condition or concerns. Nothing may be held back and deep introspection or mental analysis is discouraged. In theory, over time, this will lead to a better understanding of the client's condition and thereby offer a solution or accommodation. This form of therapy is beneficial to individuals because it helps them resolve difficulties that have affected them for a long time and helps them understand more about themselves. It's made effective by making the clients self-aware that the past influences their current behaviours and thoughts 
and explores unconscious patterns. He was the one who made the concept of conscious and unconscious minds popular. The conscious mind of an individual is the one that he is aware of at any time and the present memories, perceptions, feelings, thoughts and fantasies. While working on this concept, he discovered the pre-conscious mind. Now, the pre-conscious mind is made up of the, of the available memory. The thoughts and memories that a person is not aware of at a particular time, but can be readily brought to mind. Freud discovered that these two layers of the memory of mind are the smallest parts. The largest part of the mind is made up of unconscious memory. This part of the memory is made up of things, thoughts, memories, perceptions that a person is not aware of, including things that originate in this area of the mind, like instincts, drives and basic memories. We may not know about the presence of such feelings and emotions, but they may suddenly appear when we see something happening to somebody else. Freud compared child's play with daydreaming as a creative process. So, the only difference between the child and the adult is that the child is not ashamed of his play, whereas the adult hesitates to tell his daydreaming activities. The adult does not play in, phys- in a physical sense like the child, but he will fancy and would build a castle in the air. In this way, the play of childhood is a continuation of and a substitution for daydreaming. Both create their own world without mistaking them for reality. Freud suggests that daydreaming is an inseparable part of the human psyche and very essential for creative writing or any creative activity. So he worked on the idea that our current thought processes and behaviours are due to our childhood experiences. The thoughts and feelings of the person become repressed into their unconsciousness and subsequently manifests itself into negative feelings and emotions. This comes up in Carl Jung's work and The Inner Child. The two psychologists work very closely together and Jung based some of his theories on Freud's work even though they disagreed and fell out over their theories. But psychotherapy by itself has not been shown to be an effective treatment for most cases of depression, anxiety or schizophrenia. On the other hand, psychotherapy plus medication is more effective than medication alone to treat anxiety and depression. Psychotherapy can help people cope better with their problems and interpreting dreams can help them understand why they are what they are. So, for 50 years, Freud was one of the most revered scientists on Earth. Then scientists discovered neurotransmitters, chemicals that pass messages from one nerve to another. They found that people who hallucinate and are not able to think clearly are schizophrenic because their brains make too much dopamine or glutamate, that people are depressed because their brains make too little norepinephrine and serotonin, that people who shake with Parkinson's disease 
do so because their brains make too little dopamine and that people who lose their ability to reason and remember because they suffer from Alzheimer's disease have too little acetylcholine. So now these diseases are treated with drugs that raise or lower brain levels of neurotransmitters. Some drugs raise dopamine levels to treat Parkinson's disease. Drugs like Prozac and things like that raise brain levels of serotonin and treat depression. Modern psychiatrists know that you cannot treat chemical depression, schizophrenia or anxiety just with talking. You treat mental disorders with drugs to correct abnormal brain levels of neurotransmitters. But it's the combination. Psychotherapy is key to it as well if it's being treated in a professional sense. It may be just therapy. It may be therapy plus medication. But therapy must be part of it. So that's basically Freud in a nutshell. In the next episode, I'm going to get on to Carl Jung, who worked very, very closely with Freud. And as I said earlier on, they fell out. And I'll go into why they fell out and how their their theories differed. But you can take certain elements of Freud's theories, or I take certain elements of them, and say, okay, yes, that does make a lot of sense. But that doesn't mean it's the only thing that makes sense. So, I'll leave you with a quote from Freud. If you want your wife to listen to you, then talk to another woman and she will be all ears. Now, this was one of his uh, theories. We'd now call it triangulation. It's quite interesting and quite manipulative if someone does it on purpose. So, I'll get more into it another time. When, when we do an episode about the Beatles breakup we'll get into that in more detail because it was used there so in a very interesting way and that's it because of my own anxiety issues reading comments about how it is would send me into overdrive so please I would ask that you leave no reviews at all but if you do want to get in contact please send an email to pearlsandwisdom at aol.com or follow the Instagram page at pearlsandwisdom where we'll be posting some of the material we cover in the episodes Stay safe, stay happy, chat soon.